There was one time where we were almost encouraged to come down because it could be the last time we could see her. That's quite a hefty thing to think about now. And and my brother came down, and you know, we all. It was. It, that's really hard when you think about that now. Yeah. I'm Charmaine Griffiths, Chief Executive of the British Heart Foundation and host of this special series of podcasts celebrating 60 years of pioneering research into heart and circulatory disease. As part of this series, I wanted to speak to some of our ambassadors and VIP supporters to learn more about their own personal health journeys and how the BHF's research has played a role in transforming or even saving their lives or those of loved ones. Hello, in today's episode, we have not just one, but two people joining us. We've got actor and upcycling expert, more on that later, and BHF supporter, Kimberly Hart Simpson, and Kimberly's sister, Emma. And Kimberly and Emma, huge welcome to our Ticker Tapes podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So this is the first time on this series of podcasts that we've had a family member in with one of our VIP supporters, but there's a very special reason for that. Unlike in other episodes where we've spoken to our ambassadors and supporters about what life is like for them living with heart and circulatory diseases, this time it's Emma who's got a heart condition. And Emma, would you mind starting by telling us a little bit about you? You've shared that you're living with dilated cardiomyopathy. When did you first notice something wasn't right for you? It must have been roughly about six seven years ago I just wasn't right and I can't explain what was wrong with me I just wasn't well and all my vital signs were fine and there was no answer to what it was until it got to dire straits and then all the investigations turned up with a dilated cardiomyopathy. Obviously that diagnosis must have been a scary thing for you and your family just tell me a little bit more about how that came about and how that felt as well. Um, I think it was scary but it was also a relief that they actually found out what was wrong with me because for so long I thought I was going mad because I was diagnosed with anxiety, depression, etc. And I knew it wasn't that. I think people were making me more anxious because they kept saying it. And I think they even pulled my husband aside and said, it's all in her head, it's psychosomatic, there's nothing wrong with her. I got to the point where I couldn't breathe, I couldn't walk. And I took myself off to the hospital and basically it was a junior doctor there. So that obviously she was doing all every single test and it's what came back with. So it was a relief to find out that I wasn't going mad. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of relief and, and scariness at the same time, really. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this podcast today will empathise with that and that, that feeling of not knowing what's wrong and then some of the relief even of a diagnosis, even if it's hard to hear. How was it when you told Kimberly? And Kimberly, how was it for you? Um, I didn't tell anybody. I was in hospital for over three weeks and I didn't tell anybody for the first week, week and a half. And then I think I just casually text or rang, mm. yeah. <laughs> as you do, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> saying, oh, by the way, yeah. I'm in hospital and they think I've got a heart problem. But don't worry, it's it's not, you're not going to catch it, you're not going to suffer from it. But yeah, that's it, I'm here, this is where I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we, 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 I remember going to visit my sister because she was in hospital for quite some time. So we all went down there um, we, we was meeting my brother, the whole yes. the family sort of dipping in and out. But at, at this point, we didn't still have a, um, a full-on di- diagnosis. Full, not no. a full-on diagnosis. So you, you go into the hospital, but you're not knowing what's, what's wrong. And then there was one point, though, and we were discussing this last night because naturally the conversation's opening up now about reminiscing about the time and, and what happened and what we actually all went through, but not knowing that that 
the gravity of the situation at the time because we we take everything as a as a family as a pinch of salt. Yeah. We've gone through quite a bit of trauma and loss, so everything becomes um it, we we deal with it via joking basically. We're quite blase about yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. It's, something quite major can happen and we'll somehow be able to derive <laughs> a joke from it. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't it yeah. might just be a dark sense of humor yeah. we all have, I don't know. <laughs> but there was one time where we were almost um, sort of encouraged to come down to see Emma because it could be the last time we could see her, which was really, that's quite a hefty thing to think about now. And, and then my brother came down and, you know, we all, it was, it, that's really hard when you think about that now yeah yeah that's quite a, a dark thought that we all went down there because we weren't sure if we yeah. were ever going to see you again that was that's yeah yeah and everyone was spread out like some people in wales we had london manchester and mm. you're like everyone's all over the place it's not as if we all live in one house or one town and we can all just take it in turns and communicate really well yeah it's just <laughs> a bit of a crazy time <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love the fact that you've used humour as a family. I know my family do too, and so many others don't. I think there's something quite British about it as well, to use yeah, humour to yeah, get through yeah. things. And that moment where you everyone bundled in, Emma, how did you feel seeing them all? That must have been quite overwhelming. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just took it as, oh, well, when you're in hospital, you go and visit somebody, don't you? And mm. everybody comes to visit you, and you just see it as that. And I'm just lucky that they came, just lucky that they, you know, that I have got the family network that will come and visit you. Yeah. Mm. Especially being so far away from everybody. Yeah, it's quite privileged. A, it was like, do you know what I'm thinking now? Because we we lost our dad and we we all um, kept bundling to see him, and mm. and it was I, I guess a bit reminiscent of that. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like when we went and visited our dad, because we got we get called all the time. Your, your dad's got, you know, is we think he's going to go come now, and that happened. Yeah. Oh my, like every other day, didn't it? <laughs> and you get there, and he's like, "Hiya," and we're like. <laughs> to be on your last legs <laughs> he's like I'm better now I'm like oh my god yeah so um but so I guess there was some sort of like reflective moments in that that again mm. at the time you don't you don't see but when you think about it afterwards you go with that that it was yeah a bit a bit similar but I mean that's what happens when you go to hospital though I guess in general I isn't it I yeah. Suppose, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was on the other side of it this time whereas before I was the visitor yeah with my dad now and I and I was, this time I was the patient so I was just like oh great someone's come pass the time away people have come to see me yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so Emma we've I've mentioned before that I think your diagnosis is dilated cardiomyopathy for yeah. anyone who's listening who doesn't know what dilated cardiomyopathy is would you mind explaining what you know about it what they explained to me was basically the left ventricle in my heart wasn't working properly. My heart was saggy, so it's pumping down one side of me, and it wouldn't pump. Didn't have enough oomph in the pump to pump the blood back up round, round me. So it was like, hence the swelling and the tiredness and all the all the symptoms that came with it. That's what it was. And they go on on an ejection fraction, and mine was really low. I think mine was at ten percent. But they said don't concentrate on the fraction so much. But I do. But I, I did at first, I should say, but now I don't because I know by my own self, my symptoms, how I'm feeling, how whether it's a good day, bad day. Yeah, so it's just a, basically I've got a baggy heart. It doesn't pump the way it should do. Umph in the pump. I love that. Yeah, that, um, yeah, that was so good from you. 
so good so good emma look at that not enough not enough i was like wow where'd you get that from you can have that as your new slogan if you want dude we might take it look at that emma not enough oomph in the pump i'm loving that this morning and what does that mean for you in your life now emma tell us a little bit about the routine Okay, I have to take medication um, every day. It's at the minute, the, my medication's stable. I'm on the highest doses of everything. I'm on the new drug. I'm on a new drug, which has turned my life around, basically. I get good days. I get bad days. More good days now than bad. Um, I just got to know the consequences of what I do. So if I go to Alton Towers for the day, I know that the next day I'm going to be worn out and exhausted from it. I know when the fluid's building up in my body so I have my everyday medication but I also have PRM medication where I can add to it to reduce get rid of all the swelling and the fluid Um, I just control it myself and I just do it by my actions where so like I say now I'm more good than bad I do everything I want to do I do everything I feel I can do and if I can't do it I don't do it and I don't beat myself up about it where at first I was frustrated that I couldn't do the things I wanted to do like get up and just do normal day-to-day tasks and I just I used to get so frustrated I couldn't do it but now I'm like oh well it'll still be there tomorrow I'll do it tomorrow. Sounds like you do a great job of listening to your body and and building in routines that work for you as well and clearly Emma you were diagnosed at such a young age have you met anyone else who's um been through a similar experience? No not the same thing no I just like all my appointments checkups I'm in a waiting room with with elderly people or younger people but they don't have the same condition they have fixable conditions. I've met people with like leaky valves and hole in the heart and things like that. So they can be fixed where this is not, this is controllable. It's maintainable. It's not fixable. Tell me a little bit about the, your relationship now. You clearly guys have fun being together. And um, this must have, uh, you know, been a, a big thing for you and your family. So just share a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, about your relationship and anything, I guess, about this that has changed how you are together or not. Made us closer? Yeah. 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 We yeah. check in more. We check in more. Yeah, check in more. But then I guess at the same time, it's you can't um, sort of tiptoe around people. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it's it's a case of like, again, laughter is the best medicine mm. of everything. So if, the, if there is a problem, Emma will just say, and then... But that, I would, yeah, it's definitely, it brings you closer, but that... But you almost forget about it as well. Yeah, it's just it's just there in the background. It's not like yeah. an elephant in the room in the room. We don't discuss it. It's there. We laugh about it. More dark humour again, probably. Yeah, very dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, very dark. Just yeah. We just laugh about it. Just yeah. yeah. We just yeah, we check in more, don't we? We keep in touch more. Yeah. I think. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think there was a time where we you were concerned like whether it was hereditary as well, yeah. but then yeah. you know it's not now. Yeah. So um yeah, there's just little yeah, I think it's just, yeah. I mean, everyone's susceptible to getting ill, aren't they? So it, it's Emma's turn now, it might be one of our turns later, and it's you just like rally round, don't you? But if Emma needs us, she'll, she'll reach out and tell us. But but I don't think you can always be like, how are you feeling today? Are you okay? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that's yeah. not yeah. helpful. It's not helpful to somebody. And um, in fact, we've only really just been speaking about all of this now because we knew we were going to do the podcast and I've started working with British Heart Foundation um, closely. So that's led to actual conversations that we've not addressed before. So that's quite nice, isn't it? Like we're starting to have these open conversations about things that we've not really spoken about. 
Thank you. So, um, Kimberly, tell me a bit more about how you came to the BHF because we are just so delighted to have you as one of our supporters. And I'll come up, uh, come to the amazing work you're doing with us on reuse and sustainability in a minute. Tell me a bit more about what brought you to us. Well, I've always been a charity shopper. You've as well. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's in the family. I think. It's, it's in, in the family. Yeah, it's in the genes. Because we've never been, we've never come from money, so you appreciate um charity shops and in, in, in that sort of growing up. And so I've always been going in there. Um, I like to find little uh, golden nuggets. Uh, so I've always been going to charity shops. The British Heart Foundation in particular, over the last few years, I've, oh, I, one, it's such a recognisable shop. It's it's like it's been in my memory bank for years and years. Do you know what I mean? I do. I just recognise it. I know that I know your um, logo. I know everything about it. I know the layouts. I know the people inside, like all of them sort of things, like, it just feels like a home from home. And I'm always going into British Heart Foundation, especially in my um, hometown. I know them. I don't even go in sometimes to buy. I go in to chat. Um, it's that comfort blanket that I've had for years and years. And I'm very proud of it. There used to be a, a sort of, when stigma. we were younger, stigma, yeah. Um, I, it, to be fair, it used to be a stigma if you were walking down the street with an Aldi carry yeah, bag. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, don't be walking down the street with that. Um, you know, you'll get bullied. But now I'm like, do you know what? This is my this is my upbringing and I'm very proud of it. And I will always, always turn to British Heart Foundation. Also, you've got some amazing collaborations with some... Um, I try to not buy fast fashion. It's impossible sometimes, but I try my best. And because you have collaborations with people like Pretty Little Thing... All of these little goodies that you can get that, that people don't know that before it's even on their website or anything like that, I can get that stuff for £2, £3. And, you know, before I'm ahead of the fashion game, way before it's even out there. So why would I not do that? And at the same time, my money's going towards charity and, and could save somebody's life. It, it's a no-brainer, an absolute no-brainer. Love that and love the, the spirit of finding treasure in our shops as well. I've, I've volunteered yeah. in our shops. I was in a couple in, in recent weeks as well. And just we have the most brilliant people in the teams, but yeah. sorting through to kind of get the treasure out and then having those relationships with shoppers. I think our staff and colleagues and our volunteers do an amazing job of creating a bit of community spirit in the shops as well as yeah. um, finding really good uh, um, treasure to, to sell. And, and Kimberly, of course, people will know you as an actor in things like Hollyoaks and Coronation Street, but you've also got an upcycling business. I don't know when you managed to fit this all in, but an upcycling <laughs> business called Heartwork. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so I got a sewing machine. Acting work was slim and I had all this creativity inside me and I really didn't know how to, to sort of let that out. So I decided to get a sewing machine, a simple sewing machine, the cheapest one you could find. I thought I'll make a couple of pencil cases, a couple of cushions or something like that. And then I realised that I was actually quite good at it. I was taking apart stuff like that pre-exists within the world. That's the whole premise of the business. It's only working with pre-existing materials. That could be vintage or anything like that. Taking it apart and giving it a new life. And there's something quite metaphorical about it. <laughs> um, so there's always a life in the old dog yet sort of thing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like, if I can take something that was deemed as ugly and then rework it into something that I love, then that is a really nice way to live. Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess I just started doing that. And then um, I ended up doing a dress for my friend for Soap Awards. And then I was um, in contact with ASOS from the back of that because it went into press outlets. And then they signed me as a, um, as a boutique label. And so 
from that, I'm still learning on the job, to be honest with you. I, I, each day, I don't know what I'm going to make. I just sort of go with whatever my heart feels like. I just enjoy it. It makes me happy. And Emma, do you get these things for every Christmas and birthday? You know, do you, do you get... <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. Not even a card. <laughs> She's not lying. <laughs> You guys are funny. <laughs> no, but you work recycle stuff as well, don't yeah, you? Yeah. Like so I've sounds in schooling, mate. Random. I do it for just for de stressing. I do it for my own pleasure, not yeah. Not yeah. for anything else. Yeah. If I had to do it to order, I probably wouldn't do it, I'd be bored. <laughs> yeah. I like to do it when I'm in the mood to do it. There's something really creative about it, isn't it, as well? There's something yeah. practical, but as you said, you get absorbed in it and and, yeah. uh, and and also get to express yourself or your ideas through it as well. So I can see We've you guys love it. epic fails as well. Though. Oh, yeah, God, I've got loads of epic fails for your life. <laughs> so, um, Kimberly, your skills in this area really lent themselves to our recent reuse revolution, which is really yeah. important for us as a British Heart Foundation, because as you've said, we have so many pre-loved goods, clothing, furniture, other that we can sell to raise money for life saving research and that's a huge part of who, who we are so would you mind um talking us through the process that you went through from sourcing bargains the creative upcycling that you did and what you felt about the end result as well yeah so with the reuse revolution i actually went on a an absolute shopping spree at one point some bits i think they, they remained the same so it's not um I bought them as the, the, the piece and that I've not changed them, but I was doing things like going into shops, finding a t-shirt. So I'll go to British Heart Foundation, find a t-shirt I like, cut it up, make it into a cushion. It seems quite straightforward, but when there's zips and stuff involved, it gets a little bit complex. But the idea is this, nobody else in the entire world has that apart from me. And there's something so nice about that. Um, it's living a new life and, it's not, it was never meant to be a t-shirt that, that, sorry, it was a t-shirt and it was never meant to be a cushion and now it is. And I just, yeah, it's, um, it's exciting looking at something, thinking this could have a, a complete makeover. And yeah, so we, we filmed some bits actually for Reuse Revolution. We put it on your socials. Um, so, and trying to teach people a skill as well, I guess, because it is really if you've got a bit of patience, and that's all sewing is, I reckon, a bit of patience. Yeah. yeah. And there are times that I do want to throw my machine across the room. I'm not going to lie to you, you know. <laughs> um, but it's, if yeah, if you can zone out and have that time for you, your mental health, which obviously is then connected to your heart as well, I believe. Yeah. All of these sort of things, if you can zone out and give yourself time to just step away from all the socials, your phones, your everything, just focus you and a machine and making something, um, making something, giving it a new life, then that, that, that's a really nice thing, to, like a great place to be. Fantastic. Well said. So question for both of you. What's the best bit of treasure or bargain you found in a BHF shop? Oh, God. Do you want me to go first well, or you have a little I mean, thing? I can't even think. So I found a Chanel bag there. It's Listen, just... it might not be real. I don't mind. I don't care if it's real or not i've no interest in designer goods but i like the irony that people are spending thousands or hundreds on a designer bag and i've walked into a charity shop and got it for three quid do you know what i mean i feel smug <laughs> love that love yeah. that yeah yeah mine would have to be a handbag yeah handbag. i'm not sure if it was it zara or somewhere it was just like pencil i'm like oh my god this is amazing 
it's got my name written all over it. Yep. I'm having it. Yeah, it exactly. spoke to you. Yeah, yeah yes. it did. Yeah. And I use it till it died and yeah, <laughs> yeah. I did. I'll rework it. <laughs> no, it's beyond love. All right. It's beyond. <laughs> well, I know um, we have so many brilliant shoppers who uh, know that the BHF, like you said, is, the shops are a big part of their community. They know our colleagues, they know our volunteers and really enjoy going to have a, a route around. So I know they'll love hearing about your stories. So Emma, tell me a little bit about your current job and if, uh, how, how your role has changed or not following your diagnosis. Right. OK, yeah, my role's changed. When I was diagnosed, I worked in a hospital in North Wales and um it was too strenuous. It was, I kept, each time I did a, a long stint, I would become ill. But I kept trying and trying and trying. And in the end, I was like, yeah, I'm too ill. I'm too ill. And I was too ill. The hospital told me I was too ill. I was at the point where they're going to put me on a transplant list. I was, wasn't well. It was like up to a couple of years ago. And like I so said, they changed my medication and it's changed things around. It's stabilised me. So now I work um, at a home care company. Um, a franchise. I'm a deputy manager there and we have a contract with the NHS CHC for end of life. So I manage the end of life care. Gosh. So that's what I do at the, currently. What an important job. And I imagine mm. the, the pandemic has been a huge pressure on, on the, the team and the work yeah. that you do that's so important to, yeah. to people and their families. How's it been? It's been chaotic the, because the hospitals and the hospices were emptying because of COVID. Then we obviously we had a lot of people that needed our help, needed our care, um, and people were furloughed. So we had a good influx of decent, good staff as well. And they actually stayed with us instead of going on, going back to the, the, the other jobs. They've stayed with us. And yeah, we have a good team and we have a team that care. A lot of it's cancer, but there is a few clients with heart issues. Yeah. Quite a few with the heart. So, yeah, it's been a bit mad um, all through COVID. It's quietened down, but I think I've got a feeling we're just going to have another influx soon. I've just got this feeling with the new strain and things, it's just going to go a bit crazy again. Well, thank you for the work that you do to support other people. My goodness, those end moments that mean all the world to yeah. people and their families, don't they? So thank yeah. you for that. And how have you felt during COVID? Because I know people with heart and circulatory diseases have, have been in contact with us. We've had over 6 million people visit our coronavirus hub looking for support and information because people have been worried about what it means for them. How have you been through through COVID? At, f I, at first I was a bit blase and then, then I wasn't. <laughs> then I was like, oh crikey, it's, now it's hitting people I know. And I was all, in my head I was thinking, if I get this, I'm going to be in hospital. I'm gonna, they, they better be a ventilator for me because I'm, I need this. Um, and I caught it. And then I caught it. And I was so lucky, so, so lucky. It was like, minor symptoms and my infection rate must have been so low because all I got was the fatigue this loss of scent the loss of taste and smell and um a bit of a cough and that was it and I've been so so lucky um I've been vaccinated now so fingers crossed it's onwards and upwards with it and Kimberly, uh, you must have had a busy last year as well, because you were also filming Celebs Go Dating during the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, it's years ago, I've been very lucky. I think I'm the only one that has been actively encouraged to snog people in their <laughs> mansion. Do you know what I mean? Um, that's not been happening in a pandemic, so I've done all right. <laughs> yeah, um, I realised how lucky I was because you are we are so separated at the minute as a community you know as a whole that i was I put put into a, a well what, what what i guess is an experiment really isn't it yeah. um you know there was no in within the walls because obviously you get tested constantly when you're in there and, and then all the safety precautions are you know 
off the Richter shirts. I can't even say that. Richter, Richter scale? Yeah, that's the one. Um, yeah, so they were really, really careful there. But but you're in this little world where it's almost like COVID does not exist at all. You're just in a little hub and you're in there for a month and we lived in there and it was almost that sort of big brother style place. And then, But then on the flip side of that, at Coronation Street, everything's filmed at two metres you know what there's no sort of even with love scenes or anything like that and there's no interaction so that can be quite jarring really as an actor because it you know you want to have connection to people and you you know that's that's what you do but yeah you know it's been very 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 lucky time for us have you been able to see your family in that time what's your what's your kind of restrictions around your normal life been like well when when the first obviously the first wave of the pandemic you could it I wouldn't even go in Tesco, do you know, I was so scared to go anywhere because of that's, that's the level of seriousness that, but as time's gone by, obviously we can go around to our family's house now. And so at the start, it was all just FaceTime. We met, we met and we met once in Sefton Park and for we a just walk. went for a walk, like two weeks distance for a walk. Yeah. Um, that's, that was it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. But even that's just really weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like going from a, a distance walk with your sister, <laughs> that's just, it's just mad. But um, you know you've got to make it work, and you have to res- you have to respect the rules. That they and but now I think people aren't, aren't as scared. You know what I mean? People are starting to be able to manage it in the mind more than anything. And um, yeah, I guess the vaccination process and all that sort of stuff is is making it a safer world for us all. So um, yeah, the start though we didn't really see each other at no, all, did we? Facetime really on certain occasions or anniversaries, and mm. we just Facetime and things like that. Yeah. On them days, that was it, wasn't yeah. it? So a couple of final questions from me and then if there's anything else you want to share as well. So one to Emma, experiencing something like this so young can be a really big moment in your life. Has it taught you anything about yourself? I think it's made me more adventurous, maybe. Maybe more confident to do things. It has now. At first it didn't. It scared the living daylights out of me to the point where each time, if I got an ache, chest, I was like, oh my God, this, 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 this. Um, but now I'm like, do you know what? Maybe if it is it, but if it is it, I'm going out either on a, on a roller coaster in Alton Towers or on a beach in Turkey or living my best life. So it is what it is. And at the end of the day, as long as I do what I'm told and, and try to stick to the rules of being good and not overdoing things and, and I don't restrict myself family-wise, entertainment-wise, then just go for it. Just just live live your life because you can't let it rule you. You can't. You just really can't. So if someone was going through that diagnosis right now, what would your advice be to them? Talk about it. Talk about it. Um, explain it to people so they're not scared of being with you on their own, that they not think you're going to drop down dead if you walk too fast, if you go breathless. Because that's how I'm, my friends, one of my friends was quite worried about being on her own with me. Um, but as time's gone on, she's fine now. Just talk about it, talk about it, tell me your fears. Yeah, so just ask questions to find out what, what you're allowed to do and what you can't do and just try things. If it wipes you out the next day, it wipes you out. But you've enjoyed yourself the day before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wise words and great advice, look at that. And, and Kimberly, obviously you've seen Emma go through um, this journey from diagnosis to now. Is there anything that you'd want to share with us that you you feel about her or anything you'd want to say about her whilst we're together for a moment? I guess that it's a learning curve for me because when, when Emma was first, as I say, the first 
section of realness, we were, don't judge people. Don't think they've been a hypochondriac. Don't say, oh, well, you know, come on, put yourself together. Things like that aren't helpful because Emma was initially told that it was, it was all in her head. And then if, say, if you're a family member or if you're a friend and you're watching somebody go through that, don't repeat that stuff to them because if someone's saying they don't feel well, they're saying it for a reason. Believe people. I'm not saying I didn't believe my sister, but to, I didn't know it was going to be a heart condition because of her age. So in lesson to us all, it's not about your age with um, with the heart conditions. It, it really isn't. It can get anyone at any time. They know their body way better than any other doctor. That you know, Obviously, doctors are amazing, but... If you feel it, you have to believe in them. Do you know what I mean? And listening to what people are telling you and knowing your body well and the way that, Emma, you've talked about in terms of how you manage your condition, it's just so important, isn't it? I, I can I can sense that. Yeah, and if you're not happy with what you're told, keep going back. The heart condition I've got does mimic other illnesses and other complaints and things. It does mimic it, but you know deep down what it is, even though you can't express it or can't pinpoint what it is. Just keep going back to your doctors because you'll get there in the end and find out. And it always staggers me to think there are 7.6 million people, even in the UK today, living with heart and circulatory diseases, which what you both just shared with us will resonate so much. That feeling of listening to yourself, trusting you, trusting your body and trusting how you feel and, and having other people listen to you and take you seriously makes such a difference. So I know that will resonate with so many people. And Kimberly, from you, clearly as a sister, um, watching a loved one go through um, this journey, if, if someone someone's like you watching a sister or a loved one go through it, have you got any advice to them? Um, again, just keep, I think what Emma said is right, keep talking about it. At the same time, you know, have that conversation is, do you want me to keep mentioning it or not? Do, do, do you know, do you want me to just stop for a bit? It, it's, every person's going to be different, aren't they? And, and you have to treat each person as an individual. One size does not fit all. So getting to know the person, how they want to be approached by it. Um, checking in with every now and again, because some, like Emma's a bit guilty of this, that she wouldn't necessarily tell everyone if she, if she was feeling, having an off day. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to spend a bit of time with you. And I want to thank you for being so generous and sharing your stories and your experiences with us. It's just been so interesting to hear from your perspectives and, and just, yeah, get a sense of you as, as sisters as well and just how funny and determined you are as well. So thank you very much for your time and Kimberly, in particular, everything you do to support us as a British Heart Foundation as well is deeply appreciated and makes all the difference. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. <laughs> The British Heart Foundation is celebrating 60 years of saving lives through pioneering research. Dilated cardiomyopathy is a disease where the heart muscle becomes dilated or bigger. As a result, the heart can't pump blood around the body properly, which can lead to heart failure. It is estimated to affect up to 270,000 people, that's one in 250, across the UK and is a leading cause for people needing a heart transplant. There are many different causes of dilated cardiomyopathy, like faults in your genes or a viral infection affecting the heart. And sadly, there is no cure for dilated cardiomyopathy. And although the workload of the heart can be reduced using common heart medications, there are no treatments specifically for the condition. We've been funding research to change this. As we celebrate our 60th birthday, our eyes remain firmly fixed on the future and what we hope to achieve over the next 60 years. We want a cure for heart failure, better treatments for stroke, ways to prevent vascular dementia and so much more. 
The BHF have been part of breakthroughs like heart transplants and pacemakers, stents and clot-busting drugs, and our goals for the decades ahead are even more ambitious. If you would like to fundraise in honour of the BHF 60th and be part of helping us continue to save lives, then please visit bhf.org.uk forward slash birthday. For more inspiring stories from our high-profile supporters and our patient community, please listen to and follow the ticker tapes on the BHF website or wherever you get your podcasts. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us. I'm Charmaine Griffiths. Bye for now. The stories, recollections and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our special guest and not those of the BHF. If you, our listeners, have any health concerns, please seek advice from your GP or health professional. For more information about any of the conditions discussed in this podcast, please visit BHF's website, bhf.org.uk.